We've been talking about the Apostles' Creed now for over a month, and thank you so much for sticking with us. It's been wonderful, hasn't it, to join in the chorus with hundreds and hundreds of years worth of Christians in proclaiming, I believe. You say that out loud with me right now. You ready? I believe. One, two, three. I believe. There are some amazing things uh, that we share together. And you might have different opinions about some things, but we as Christians can gather around these things and say, I believe these things. And I'm so excited about these last couple phrases. There's so much hope bound up in these last few words. Let's go ahead and recite that creed one last time. You should see the words down there at the bottom. You say it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. The forgiveness of sins. Now, forgiveness is something that all of us want, but we're often very stingy in actually handing that out to other people. In 2019, there is a phrase uh, that was coined, cancel culture. It's hard for me to say, cancel culture. And what that means is uh, people publicly shame someone that says something that's either politically uh, out of the norm as far as political correctness or it's maybe outright just offensive. And if you think about it this way, it's not that much different than what they used to do in medieval times, right? Where they put people in stocks, right? And put them out in the village square and then they throw like tomatoes at them. And today giving people the benefit of the doubt is not uh, accepted often. It's seen as letting people off the hook. And forgiveness is not a, a noble quality right now in culture. But what is forgiveness? Well, Matt Chandler gives us an awesome definition. It's this. Forgiveness is releasing someone from the wrongs that they've done fully, freely, and forever. Let me say that one more time. Forgiveness is releasing someone from their wrongs fully, freely, and forever. Well, let's read some verses about our God, the forgiving God in Psalms 103.8. God, God never changes, and God's always been forgiving ever since Adam and Eve, and we see that throughout Scripture. But Psalms 103, verse 8, says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. Man, that's such a beautiful uh, set of verses, right? How can you not love a God like this? Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, full of love, like a father to a child. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who, uh, who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Paul says Jesus came to save sinners. And I am up there with the foremost of them. I'm, I'm up there with the best of the best of them. Jesus is a forgiving savior. And that's why he came, to save sinners. Even while dying on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't understand what they are doing. Ephesians 1, 7, it says in him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. What are we saying? We're saying because Jesus suffered and died and was buried and rose again, we are reconciled to God. All the, the things that we had between us and God are gone. And we are once again reconciled to him. And forgiveness is made available to us. I don't care who you are out there. You're not too far. You're not too bad. You're, you're not exempt from the infinite forgiveness of Jesus. Go ahead and comment that down below. If you uh, believe that today, I'm forgiven. Say those words down in the comments right now. Because if you've accepted the forgiveness of salvation and that gift of salvation, then your debt is paid. I'm forgiven. Isn't that an awesome thing to know? That I believe in the forgiveness of sin. And you know you need forgiveness, right? You're aware of that. God doesn't uh, forgive us because sin isn't a big deal. No, God hates sin. God hates sin. But why does God hate sin? Well, the reason God hates sin is the same reason that I hate anything that would rob my children of fulfillment and life and purpose. I hate things that hurt my kids too. And God hates things that hurt us. God loves me, and because he loves me, he hates my sin. I know I'm desperately in need of forgiveness because I know me. And I'm so thankful that God has not dealt with me according to what my sin deserves. Paul says that he believes he is the foremost of sinners. And I know on some days I feel that way too, right? I don't know if you've ever been there where it's like, man, I am the worst. But still, we have available to us that forgiveness of sin. And God shows off his perfect patience with a specimen like me. And my wife and I are not great at training dogs. 
We have two of them, and we're really not that. One of them's good, but he, he, we got him when he was good. He, just, he was like that. The other one is crazy and nuts and, and chews everything up and uses the bathroom wherever he wants to. It's not great. We're not very good at it. But there's some people that can train even the most disobedient dog. And there's some trainers that are just excellent. And they get to show off their full skills when there is a a dog that has just, the the owner's given up. He's like, I'm going to have to give this dog away if you can't fix it. And that trainer gets to show off how awesome they are because there's a problem dog. And God gets to show off. His perfect patience and forgiveness because we are problem childs, right? Problem children. And praise the Lord, though, he has the most amazing skills and the infinite power and his forgiveness has no end because he shows off his power with someone like me. And there's no greater joy than to to be known and yet still loved. And he lavishes his grace and forgiveness on us. All this is true and all this is wonderful that God forgave me. But here's where it gets hard. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As God has forgiven me, so I ought to forgive others. And the more that I understand the amount of grace and patience and forgiveness that God has shown me, the more I understand that I need to show that type of grace and patience and forgiveness to others. When was the last time you got in a fight with somebody? You got in an argument and it was like a big one where the relationship was really hurt. Well, how could this type of supernatural forgiveness have changed the situation? How could uh, loving someone like Christ loves us and forgiving each other like Christ forgives us and being patient with each other like Christ is patient with us, how could this type of supernatural forgiveness have changed the situation? Who in your life right now, if you search your heart, search your recesses of your mind, who right now could you forgive just to show off God's forgiveness? See, forgiving our enemies is a central tenet of Christianity because forgiving enemies was a central tenet of the life of Christ. So who has cheated you, hurt you, disrespected you, gone around your back that you need to forgive? And you need to extend that hand of fellowship and community to once again. But wait, Pastor Phil, you don't understand. They've done this all before. Yeah, the disciples asked Jesus about that, and he told them, 70 times 7, you ought to forgive somebody. Now, it doesn't mean you always put yourself right back in that position to get hurt again. But what event or situation in your life happened years ago that you keep bringing back up and replaying the whole situation back in your mind? Who is that person that whenever they flash through your mind, that anger in you rises up the back of your neck? See, the forgiveness that Christ extended to you set you free. And, but here's the cool thing. The forgiveness that we extend to others also sets us free. That's an amazing thing. 
Forgiveness is releasing someone from their wrongs fully, freely, and forever. But forgiveness is better for you than it is for them. There's people in my past that I haven't seen in years, but every time they come across my mind, I have to forgive them again, release them again. They don't owe me anything. It's settled. It's over. It's in the past. Because we believe in the forgiveness of sins through the cross, we forgive those that sin against us. I believe in the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The resurrection of the body. What, what does that mean? Well, check it out in 1 Corinthians 15, 42. It says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It's sown to dishonor, but it raised in glory. It's sown to weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown is a natural body, but it's raised to a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Well, a spiritual body, what are we talking about there? Are we, are we saying, you know, we're going to be a ghost, we're going to be a spirit? No. Obviously, Christians don't believe in ghosts. The Bible tells us that when we're absent with our body here, we're present with the Lord. But this resurrection that believers are going to experience is to a new body, a spiritual body, just like Christ received a resurrected body. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. See, Lazarus rose from the dead, but you ever think about the fact that, and he, you know, he, 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 his body got life again, but you ever think about the fact that he had to die all over again a second time? But in this passage in 1 Corinthians, it tells us that with the resurrection we're going to experience, we're going to be raised to an imperishable body. No death involved there. No more aches, no more pains, no more disease, no organ failure, no more growing old. It will be an eternal body. Our body goes into the ground as a natural body, but is raised as a spiritual body, a new body. Philippians 3.21 says, uh, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We're going to get a new body, an eternal body. And this is where our hope lies. What can man do to me? What fears do I actually have? Because I have these promises in Christ and the shadow of death is gone and the sting of death is gone. No fear, no doubt, all things new. How long is this going to last though, right? Well, let's go to this last chapter in the book of the Bible, uh, the last book of the Bible, Revelations. And it tells us about what we can expect in the next life. And if this passage doesn't get you excited, I don't know what's wrong with you. You need to wake up. You ready? Revelation 21, verse 1. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with him as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says this, you ready? Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. To the thirsty, I will give them the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Look, we are physically resurrected to a new body, a new life, all things new, once and for all, forever. And if you're a believer, we have that faith for life everlasting. Amen. And we're going to have an, a new body and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And sometimes we get caught up in these ideas that we're going to be, you know, in this next life, we're going to be angels sitting on clouds playing harps forever as we just stare off into the distance. But that sounds like a nightmare to me. I don't even wear tunics. Why would I wear one in the next life, right? I don't know, it could be like a little baby Cupid flying around heaven. But that's not what the Bible tells us, right? What it says is things are going to be like they are, but new. Every nation, every tongue, every language, all reconciled to God together. And notice there that there will be different nations, tongues, and language, but they all come together to lift up our God. Take all the broken, you want to know what heaven's like? Take all the broken things away from life right now. All the brokenness that came from the fall of man in the garden. And then add into that the fact that you will know God, the creator of the universe, face to face. I am with God and he is with me and our hope is realized in God face to face. No more funerals, no more pandemics, no more war, no more mourning, no more abuse, no more riots, no more George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, no more racism. Everything that has, a sin has broken will be healed and restored. And we should long for this now. And we say that, right, in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I, when we see these pictures of heaven, we should be pushing for this now and this hope we should have for it now to glorify God just like we will one day in heaven forever. No more confusion. We will understand. We will have purpose and know our identity and value in Christ. And this is the final stamp. This is how it all ends. Life everlasting, amen. It is done. Jesus wins once and for all. The struggle is over. And you will be with your spiritual father forever. And look, we're going to run into this next life and see that it is the greatest adventure that we have ever been on. The greatest joy and peace will stay with us forever. And there will always be more. Why? Because God is an infinite God. And things will never grow old. 
There's a show uh, called The Good Place. And it's all about this group of friends that die and find out they went to the bad place, right? And uh, they're trying to figure out a way that they could be good enough to get into the good place. They're going to work their way up there. And they finally make it. And they figure out how to do that. And they're there for like thousands and thousands of years. But eventually they get bored with ice cream cones and go-karts with Abraham Lincoln. And they eventually get really depressed. And one by one, they decide to step into this portal that uh, makes them cease to exist. But what this show and the show writers left out is God. God, in his infinite goodness, will never, ever get old. And sure, after the thousandth double-decker cheesecake, you'd probably be sick of them. But God is infinite. And God is uh, so good that we'll never get bored. Because heaven isn't about all the, the, the fun things that we can do now. It's about God. Cheesecake is not what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is to be known and yet still loved by the one that made you. To have that purpose and to fulfill that purpose with joy. And to live that next life in a way that honors the one that made you forever. It's the most amazing thing. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting. Amen. You have so much to look forward to. We don't have anything to fear. We can stand on these beliefs and remember that we can trust our God. And even when we're confused, even when we struggle, we can remember that God is in control and God is good. I believe.